Greetings, troubled listeners, and welcome back to the Troubled Men podcast. I'm Renee Komen, sitting in my safe house on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, thanks, man. How are you? Oh, I'm hanging in there. You know, it's uh, it's day to day still, you know, and I think I'm not the only one. It's uh, it feels like the, the tension is really rising as we build to this election. Yeah, you know, I feel the same way in many ways. I, I keep hearing this early voting thing, early voting. Right. So I, 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 I don't know if you've done it, but I'm thinking of just going on Tuesday to vote because the place is right down the block from where I live, the school. Am I going to have problems the day of the election? Are there going to be like lines, you know, like it's, soup kitchen lines or something like that? It's possible. It's very possible. The, the number of people that have, uh, have registered uh, as new voters this time around is, is huge. And, you know, now in New Orleans, we don't have such a, a problem because we don't have the voter suppression that we have everywhere else in, in, in Louisiana, <laughs> yeah. which my mother was saying in Jefferson Parish, they have two early voting places, two for the entire. And Jefferson Parish is a giant uh, parish that goes all the way from Grand Isle. You know, it's huge. So those people have, uh, uh, you know, ridiculous hours and hours uh, waits ahead of them. So I am going to go and early vote. Uh, you know, they have a few satellite places around the city. Um, uh-huh. I, 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 it's, it's not a bad idea, man. Okay. Well, I don't know. I mean, because, I mean, the place I go to vote is just a couple blocks away. It's a school. But if I go to a satellite place, are they going to have my info there? Yeah. Now, if you have your card, you know, if you could, uh, I think they could probably even look it up just by your ID, which you got to show ID. Um, but if you give them your address, they'll know where your, you know, what your precinct is. Well, um, the more and more, you know, that I listen to all the talking heads and I read all this stuff, uh, this election, we, we, we seem like a third world country in many ways. This, this well, election. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that I thought about uh, for the past, you know, this election yeah, is that this nation is so divided and the last four years have just been insanity and this year has been insanity. Yes. And I thought the best way to change everything, because I really don't think these guys who are not in office, Republican or Democrat, have one interest in us. So my only hope is that we vote all incumbents out, vote them out, just get new people. I don't care if they're Republican. I don't care if they're Democrat or independent, whatever. I just think we need to vote all incumbents out. That's the way I feel. Okay. Well, I don't think that's, that's, that usually doesn't happen. In fact, it almost never happens. Uh, the, right. The- I know, but it, it, you know, we can dream. We yeah, and I, th- I think it might happen in some states. Well, no, that it, absolutely some states will, will get turned over, and but yes, everybody go out and vote. That's that's uh, that's important. Well, it, it, you know, because you know, there's so much hate going on. Oh, I know, I know, I know. And just on this podcast, I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think deep down, you know, hate speech is wrong. Hate, sure. Any kind of hate speech is wrong. But I think hate stuttering could be kind of funny. 
Well, okay. Well, if if you if you find stuttering funny, um, it's uh, well, well yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Mel Tillis could work it. I got to say, you know, he 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 knew how to, you know, if you if you have the right take on it. Um, right. I, mean, I have a bit of a stutter, so uh, you know, I can I can relate to the. Uh, you know, it's good to be able to laugh at yourself, man. That's important, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it was my birthday yesterday. Yes, happy birthday, Manny. Yes, the nation, thank you. Troubled Nation wishes you a happy birthday. Oh, thank you, thank you. And um, uh, two things uh, happened on my birthday. Well, you know, uh, our friend and former guest a while back, uh, Mr. Jeff Treffinger, mm -hmm. his wife and I celebrate the same birthday. Yes, 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 the lovely Maria. Yes. Yeah, his wife, Maria. And when we found this out several years ago, Marie and I, we decided to start a tradition that for uh, we, you know, for our birthdays, because you know we live uh, four blocks away from each other, four five right. blocks away. Neighbors, your neighbors. Yeah, we're neighbors. Um, so Marie and I started this tradition, birthday tradition, about six, seven years ago, where we'd get together the morning of our birthday, and we would shoot a speedball. Okay. <laughs> well, that's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both of us. I would shoot her, and she would shoot me oh, a speedball, okay. okay. and and uh, it was uh, always fun, and it is always fun. Yesterday was great. We got some pure stuff. It was really good. Okay. And what happens is after we do it, she goes her way, and I go my way. And, okay. You know, there's no cake. There's nothing like that. No presents. But we've done this for years, and it's a lot of fun kind of a same time next year scenario except exactly. uh, except with like, dope yeah. right on no, <laughs> yeah. I, I like it that's yeah. it's, it's 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 charming it's it's quaint you know right it's, uh, and it's, it shows it's, it's, restraint uh, yeah i like it yeah and you know our spouses don't mind right they don't mind at all just one day well, a year you know it's one day a year and I, I rarely see her so but it's something we do it's a lot of fun well, it's it's nice to I, have uh, something you share like that with someone. Right, yeah. And also something uh, the day before my birthday, you know, I've been having this neck problem. Yes. And, it's, and I'm still dealing with it in, in a lot of ways. I, I'm doing physical therapy two, three times a week to try to build muscle, trying okay. to build muscle. Uh, but uh, they decided my doctor, not my physical therapist, but my doctor – not our doctor. Oh, no, okay. no, 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 no. Okay. The specialist doctor. Okay. Um, said I need an MRI. Have you ever had an MRI? I don't think I have. I had a CAT uh, scan not too long ago. No. A CT you scan. would you would know what an MRI is. They're loud, right? It's the loud one. It's like being <laughs> in a coffin at a like a heavy metal concert. <laughs> it's really, really. Really, I mean, if you don't like tight spaces, yeah, it 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 can be really terrifying. And yeah. thank thank goodness they give you they put something in your hand that if you can't take it anymore, you can press the button and oh, they'll stop okay. and give you give you a few minutes to get yours. And I had to because this really? thing it was supposed to take twenty minutes, but it'd be like a twenty minute MRI, mm. and you're you're basically put in this tube, and it feels like a coffin, and um, all of a sudden they, they start it and you start hearing all these pings and bips and bops and boops and hums and it gets very loud, very loud. And after about eight, nine minutes, 
I've had, this is my second one. I've had one before. I was a lot younger for the one before. This one, after nine minutes, I pressed the button. I, I couldn't take it. I just wow. could not take it. I had it. to tap out. I had to tap out. But so what happens is they give you a few minutes, get your you know, faculties together and all that. Mm -hmm. And they say, can you, can you finish it? Yes, I can finish it. And so I finished it. I finished it. I did another 11 minutes. And I tell you, man, I don't wish this on anyone. I mean, I, this was hard. It's not like just taking a regular x-ray. It's not mm -hmm. having a prostate exam. Right. <laughs> I mean, this, this, I mean, if you don't like, I don't like enclosed spaces, you know, yeah. this, I'm nervous about this stuff and these noises. And, and <sighs> the guy, the technician tried to explain it to me. And after like four minutes, I was just like looking at him going, I don't care. I really don't care. <laughs> you know, just get this stuff. So what happened is, because I did this, I'm doing it where I work because I have the facilities there because I'm with the insurance program there. Mm -hmm. And so I was done and then I walk to my office and I'm at my office, I'm reading my emails and I get this phone call and it's this technician. He says, I forgot to do something. Can you come back? Oh, geez. <laughs> I was like, really? To start really? over? No, he, oh. he, he didn't do, not to start over. He needed, he needed okay. like another seven minutes because he oh. forgot a certain, I don't know, a certain test or angle huh, that they okay. wanted, you know? Right. So I was oh, like, nice. man, okay, I'll come during my lunch hour, you know? So I walk back there during my lunch hour and he goes, it's only going to take like six, seven minutes. And I went in there, I, you know, all the stuff, we prep and go back into the coffin and, and it starts going on and on the noise and the beeps and the bops and the hums and all that kind of stuff. And I'm trying, I'm, I'm counting to myself. One Mississippi one, Mississippi two. I'm counting the seconds. You're counting nine minutes down. Yeah, I'm counting like seven. He said it was going to be seven, seven minutes. Okay, right. so I'm counting seven minutes in my head. Jesus. And I'm at seven minutes and it keeps going on and on for at least another minute. Uh -huh. And I'm this close. I'm like a split second from pressing that button again saying, I can't stand this anymore. Where, where all of a sudden he just, it stops and he goes, all right, Manny, we're done. Cause they have a little speaker in the, in, in the, in the tube. Uh -huh. So you can hear them and they can okay. hear you, you know, but, uh, -huh. uh it, it, it's it's crazy, man. I, I you know, and I, I feel for people who are like maybe could be a little overweight, bigger people. Sure, sure. You know, because this thing, because they asked me, they said, "How tall are you?" and "What's your weight?" I told them. So I would, you know, I'm fine in that, but well, I could tell a slip people. of a guy. Yeah, so you yeah. have no problem fitting in there. But yeah, I could imagine someone who was uh, who was who was carrying a few extra pounds. Yeah. Well, yeah, or a bigger person, you know, like sure, yeah, yeah. You know, they, this this is a sports medicine facility, so you have athletes from the college who go there for MRIs and stuff. And we're talking, you know, football linemen, you know, right, right, basketball, right. Oh, basketball. So. <laughs> You know they're you a lot younger. To it after uh, after you know a whole career of those, those those guys are probably probably old hat with the MRI. You know, maybe I don't know, but um, hopefully they'll see something that can yeah. help me get uh, get this done. Because um, uh, you know it's just like I'm you thinking some relief. You need some something to. Well, I'm this. thinking there's got to be you know if they can't do it, if I can't get it done through physical therapy after what I've been doing this now for a month or so. 
um, I mean, can't they just find some kind of surgery, like mm. freeze mm. freeze something or kill oh, off geez. a nerve? Or I, oh, I don't geez. know. I don't know what I, I I don't know. Right, right. I don't. Know. Well, hopefully, hopefully they'll have some answers with this with this uh, this MRI. Yeah, and here's another thing though. This is how crazy okay. you know. It's like okay, so. I've been doing the physical therapy, and the doctor, the specialist says, okay, we're going to give you this MRI, but after this MRI is done, you have to go see the MRI doctor. So okay. two hours after I did the MRI, I get a call from the MRI doctor secretary saying, and this was done, this MRI was done, I think, last Friday. So I get this call from the MRI doctor secretary said, okay, yeah, we, uh, the MRI has been done. Uh we can see you November 20th. It's like <laughs> November 20th. It's a ways down the road. That's a lot of neck pain to, to be yeah. suffering. <laughs> exactly. Oh, That's what I said. I go, there's no other time earlier. And, and it was like, no, we have no other time. November mm. 20th. You know, I might be healed by November 20th. Well, hopefully so. That would be nice. You know, but, but it's like I went to this MRI. I'm sure I'm going to have to, I'm going to get a bill for it soon. Right. Yeah, you get the bill before you uh, you actually find out what's wrong. It probably. So it's like I'm, I I I guess I have to see this guy on November twentieth because why not? I paid for it. Right. Right. Oh, jeez. You know, but oh, it's Manny. it's just the way it is. You know. Anyway. Uh, well, I like this new segment that we have. Uh, we we do every month or so, which is like uh, conversations overheard at the McDonald's uh, uh, corner booth at six thirty a.m. <laughs> Okay. Where, where all the guys get together and discuss their medical visits. Well, yeah, no, you know. No, I, no, I dig it, man. You know, it's 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 good. It's a good bit. Um, no, oh. I'm, I'm I'm teasing you. Of course, we we all uh, you know d wish you you uh, you know uh, r a quick recovery from this. It's terrible, man. It's terrible. Well, the worst part is is I take two steps forward and then one step back. That's the worst part about this physical therapy because yeah. the worst part is is having to drive driving is very painful at times right because you have to look around you gotta you I can't you can't just look around. in the mirror yeah 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 that's yeah. how accidents yeah. happen it's it's yeah exactly so that's the hard part fortunately with the covid i'm not going many places you know i'm just yeah. going okay. back and forth here and there anyway how are you Oh, I'm good. Well, you know, just to, I don't want to keep our guests waiting too much longer, but uh, on, since we're on the medical topic, um, you know, I did have to go see uh, our, our uh, Troubled Men podcast staff physician. For my, You're pregnant? Uh, I, I'm well, well, not anymore. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> oh, really? It's, it's touch and go there for a minute. But um, no, so, uh, you know, I, I, he gave me a, a good going over. And uh, recently, my lab work came back, and he, he called me up, and uh, so, Manny, we have bad news. Uh-oh. I'm, I'm in perfect health. <laughs> he, 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 said, he called you back? Because usually, I just get a card. Yeah, no, he called me. He called me. He said, wow. uh, he said, he said my numbers were even better than last year. And then, wow. then he spoke the infamous phrase, keep hmm. doing what you're doing. Oh, yeah. Keep it up. <laughs> So, yeah. Well, if you're sure about that, I mean, I guess so. I don't know. Well, that's nice. He called you because I never get a call from him. I just get a, a card hmm. showing me my numbers and stuff. Yeah, no, uh, I usually get a little personal service, but uh, yeah, um, yeah, he's a good guy. Though. He is a good guy. He's a good guy. Yeah. Good doctor. Good doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Manny, should we uh, get to our guest? Yes, please, because he's exciting to me. 
Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Um, so our guest is, uh, again, we've had a, a few people that, are, that sort of qualify for this. He's on the Mount Rushmore of New Orleans musicians. He's, uh, yeah. he's New Orleans R&B and funk royalty. His, his band, The Meters, are, you know, they're, they're originators. Uh, they're, they're the template, the gold standard of, of New Orleans R&B. And he's played on a lot of uh, hit records, you know, Dr. John, Patti LaBelle, Robert Palmer, on and on. Uh, so we'll get into all that. But without further ado, Mr. George Porter Jr. Welcome, George. Hey, guys. How y'all doing? Oh, man. We're, we're doing good. Thank you for coming on the show. Excited about this. Uh, thanks for the invite. Yeah, uh, this will be my first podcast. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we're honored, man. Man, that's 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 hard to believe, but and uh, could be your last. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be a learning experience that you don't want to repeat. Uh, but uh, we'll try not to have that happen. Um, so, George, you've been, uh, you know, you're locked down the way everybody else uh, is. Of course, uh, you know, in a normal summer, you would have been. Uh, playing you know with the with one band or another so uh, i've seen a few uh live streams you've done um what else what, what have you been keeping busy here well for the, for the most part i've been um you know myself and michael limbler and uh chris atkins have been okay. uh recording um in a, in in three studios that you know not at the same time but um that they have uh, Pro Tools have this system called Cloud Record, and um, you know, so I uh, I would send Mike because uh, he's the he's more in tune to editing and and putting cutting stuff up and putting them in places and stuff. I would send my thoughts to him, and then he would um, you know he would create a click track, which I'm not good at that either. And, uh, you know, he'd have cleared a click track or a drum loop that, you know, that Chris and I could play to. And we would start adding our parts to the songs. And um, so we did that. We did 14 songs um, wow. for this for this project. Um, and the, the young man, the engineer up at um, at, at Maple Leaf, Joe Cobb, um, has been... Um, has been mastering and mixing and mastering the stuff. Um, he's also the young guy that um, um, mixes um, our um, Monday night stream because you know those Monday night streams are, are, are actually live recordings from the Maple Leaf that's done, um, every, you know, every Monday that we play it. Um, so, right. so that's that's you know that's pretty much what we've been doing pretty much all summer. I've had the help of. Um, Susan Kelso and um, and also um, Mia Borders, uh, um, lyricist. Uh, okay. And uh, and uh, Miss Denise Sullivan has been um, the, the, the lyrics that I write. You know, she's been turning them into English. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, nice. So um, you know, so that's been you know that's been that's been out that's been pretty much our summer. Um, well, that's cool. I mean, that's uh, you've been able to stay productive and, and have uh, something to get up out of bed for, man. That's because that's that's the, the been the most crushing part of this, you know, is l lack of purpose. I think. Yeah, yeah. I think it was very important. Well, uh, two things. Uh, I have a I have a a, a female, um, my wife's dog, Miss um, Vicky, that um you know that gets me up every morning at seven o'clock. Okay. You know, she, 
She, um, if, if I don't get up, I'll have to clean up. So, <laughs> so um, you know, I, I, I'm up at 7 o'clock. And usually, you know, she'll, I'll feed her at 7 as well. And then, um, you know, she'll go back out after feeding and um, do the, the heavy drop, the heavy drop. And um, then, um, you know, I sometimes get back in the bed until about 10. Um, but, you know, some mornings I stay up, you know, and I'll, I'll do, you know, I'll work around the house and do something in the house. Doing, you know, doing, doing, uh, you know, adult stuff because I, I've not, I've not been an adult for a very long time. Okay. <laughs> I, have to, I, have, I have to grow up, you know. Well, it's a, I guess better late than never, George. Um, well, George, you know, I think in, in my enthusiasm, I neglected to say that you were the bass player in the meters. Uh, so <laughs> I'm sure everyone knows George Porter out there, but, uh, you know, just uh, I, have my, I have so many notes here. Well, one thing I wanted to go back to, to the, the, the roots of your, your bass playing. So how did you start playing music as a kid? What, what, was, what was around you? What kind of uh, what, what motivated you? Well, uh, I guess the uh, the motivation was my mom's love for music. My mom and dad. My dad. My dad liked. Um, you know, he enjoyed um, the, um, the jazz, um, mostly the um, the saxophone players um, like Sonny Stitt and um, mm-hmm. you know and uh, Stanley Turrentine. He wasn't a big fan of John Coltrane. Okay. And, uh, and, and Pharaoh Sanders, but um, you know, but that the saxophone players from that era, and he also was a big fan of Coltrane's wife, um, um, Shirley, Shirley Scott, I believe her name was. Oh, okay. Um, she was an organ player, uh, and I think she played right. she played vibes too, I believe. Um, and she had a few records out back then too. Um, so um, you know that was what my my dad did. And my mom pretty much was an R and B lover. You know she loved R and B, and we would listen at at that then at that time it was only one black radio station WBOK. Mm-hmm. And um, but then when I as I remember back, you know um, WT W was it WTIX I believe. Um, they played a lot of the, the local, uh, uh, you know, the Earl Kings, the Fats Diamonds, the right. right, the Jesse Hills. They played that music back then, you know. And then, you know, once the, well, I guess once you got into the sixties, late sixties and early seventies, um, that's when the, um, the those stations kind of like abandoned playing the black R and B, the R and B stuff because. There were, you know, there were white artists recording those Sam songs, and um, you know, so they, I guess they didn't want to compete with the, huh. with, the uh, with the money with the artists that were making the money. <laughs> okay, now what now neighborhood what? did you grow up in? Sorry, Manny. No, that was the question I was going to ask. Oh, right on. Yeah. What? What year? I was born you know, in nineteen forty. What? Say that again. What neighborhood did you grow up in? Oh, my neighborhood. I grew up. I guess the first. Um, probably until about 10 or 11, I lived, um, two blocks from Paris prison on Gravity street. Um, okay. So, um, Johnny Vodakovich is neck of the woods. Well, no, on the opposite side, like with Johnny, Johnny was, uh, um, well, actually I'm not sure where Johnny's kid childhood neighborhood was. 
Well, he went to school oh. right there uh, at that school across from from uh, from uh, the parish prison building. But uh, but he, I guess he lived on Bank Street. But anyway, sorry to. to he stayed to, on Bank Street. Yes, you're yeah, correct. Yeah. Right, right. So yeah, he probably stayed. He stayed on the opposite side of Broad Street, and I stayed. Okay. I stayed on, I guess would be called the riverside. He was on the lakeside. Got you. Got you. So was there a lot of music uh, people in your neighborhood playing? I mean, how did you start playing bass? I guess is my well, the, question. The bass was a, was a, as a, was a, almost like a, a part two of my original instrument. I, I started, um, you know, the first two instruments don't really count. Violin, that didn't really count. My my dad was going to kill us if we didn't get to get rid of those violins. Oh yeah. So, um, and uh, and and piano lessons didn't last very long because um, Zig's brother Clinton was uh, was my piano teacher, and at the time Zig was you know he's younger than I am, so he was naturally his brother was teaching. Um, teaching me how to play, and he kept kind of interfering with it. So Miss um, Bluens, you know, kind of say, "Ah, no, nah, 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 this is crazy. Uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm gonna have enough of this." So that ended my piano career too. And, so you grew, uh, my, you grew up with Zig, right? Uh, Zigaboo, yeah, at least the drummer, somewhat, and, and I, the meters. Yeah, somewhat, somewhat. Now, after um, Clinton stopped teaching piano um, to me. Um, I think, uh, well, and we moved, we moved off of Grabby Street to Perdita Street because Zig uh, um, grew up three blocks on the opposite side of Grabby Street from Paris Prison. Okay. Uh, was it three, three, four blocks? It might have been four blocks on the opposite side, but on, on the same street, Grabby Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so that, yeah, once I moved off of Grabby Street, I didn't see Zig again until um, you know until I was well into my into um, junior high school, okay. and when we when we moved, when my mom and father separated, um, and my mom moved me and my brother um, up into what I what is called what we call Nevilleville, Thirteenth um, mm-hmm. um, Ward, the Thirteenth right. Ward. That's correct. Right, and. Um, so, so, you know, when you said original instrument, you know, my, my dad always referred to that as his penis. Uh, oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, <laughs> Some of the I'm fatherly totally advice there, Harry. Yeah, that was fatherly advice. He was a boomba from the East Coast, uh, <laughs> but uh, that's what he referred to. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. The, the first instrument I took lessons from was for was uh, was guitar. Um, my grandmother gave me a. a, 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 a oh, I'm not sure how that really went. Is I think the present my mom got got charged with buying me another instrument, but I think it was actually my grandmother who purchased the instrument, the guitar, the acoustic guitar, hmm. and uh, and I had to take lessons in order to. To, to keep it. It was like this with Warline's music. They were first starting that thing up, uh, starting the system up where it's a um, rent to buy. Uh, right. Um, you know, and um, and my mom, you know, she rented to buy this guitar. And in order for me to keep it, uh, I had to take lessons. 
So mm-hmm. that's what I did. I took lessons, and for, um, but I was taking lessons from a, a teacher that because of the type of guitar it was, he was teaching me classical, the classical formula, not classical music, but the formula of playing classical guitar. Uh-huh. Meaning that meaning that I was using uh, um, nine fingers and a thumb. Uh, well, okay. actually, all all ten fingers came into play at some points. Um, so, um, but the songs that I was playing were, were country western songs, you know, "Home, Home on the Range," "Red River Valley," you know, oh, those kind of songs. And it was the the idea was to to, to learn the the um, the um, the voicing of the instrument, you know, the fingering. And it was much simpler to learn Red River Valley than a, to learn a Segovia piece. Right. Uh, got to start um, somewhere, so, sure. Yeah, yeah, I have to start somewhere. Um, but it wasn't, in, it was like two years into um, my, it was my second year of my um, lessons with him that um, I was on my way to, to uh, um, my Saturday um, lessons and I changed my route from going from the house to the bus stop, to the bus stop. And when I changed my route, I got to, uh, now I'm living on Padilla Street, two blocks off of Galvis. And mm-hmm. what I used, I would walk to the corner and take a, a instead of going, or, cause the bus stop was at the corner of, of, of Padilla and, and Galvis. I went to the corner and turned, turned right and walked over to Gravity Street. But when I got to Gravity Street, I can hear this music being played. And so, you know, that naturally drawed my attention and made me walk a little faster. But when I turned that corner, um, I think that's Russia Blade, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Um, I turned that corner and I can, there's two, two gentlemen, uh, young, 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 young man, young tall man, uh, uh, and, and an older gentleman. And uh, the, young, the younger guy was playing like bass lines. And the older guy was playing these melodies, playing with this classical formula, with the fingering. And and I, at that t- at that point, I said, "Well, oh, hell, that's the that's the kind of songs I want to be playing." And he was playing, you know, St. Louis Woman and you know blueses and stuff, you know. And I said, "Well, man, you know, I could that's that's what I would rather be playing." <laughs> That's pretty much, but but as the to answer the question, how did I get to bass? Uh, playing classical formula, you play bass lines as well as as chords and melodies. Sure, sure. So so you you were able to apply that when you so then you just had bands that that needed a bass player, and you thought, well, I think I can do that, or or how was that transition? Well, it, it, the transition happened kind of like abruptly. You know, it's like. Um, I played. Uh, I was sort of like a roadie for um, uh, for a gentleman named Herbert Wing, and he had a band called the Royal Knights. And okay. Papi, that guy, that young guy that was on the steps with his grandfather, was the bass player in that band. Well, Herbert okay, Wing, Papi Francis. Know, yes, just said uh, okay. uh, his, his, his name was. Uh, um, Benjamin Francis, Poppy, we call him Poppy for short. Okay. That was his nickname. And um, so um, I was living, now I'm actually living in Carrollton by this time. 
and and I was living around the corner from Herbert Wing. And again, sort of like when I, I, I accidentally walk into musicians playing and all of a sudden find myself in a world that I want to be in. And uh-huh. I heard Herbert Wings playing his guitar one day. And when he was playing on his guitar, he was playing Earl King and stuff like that. And I said, wow, yeah, that's the kind of stuff I want to play. Okay. You know, so it was kind of, you know, led from there. And in and, and that band, in the Herbert's band, I would I would I would be like the the uh, the extra player at the at the at the room, and he was playing fraternity houses all up and down Broadway Street, and um, okay. and the, you know the artists would be or anybody from Earl King, uh, Benny Spellman, uh, Jesse Hill, uh, Tommy Ridgely, uh, you know they they you know because the frat house would hire all these different artists, they would hire a house band, and right. then they would hire different artists to play. You know, and those guys, you know, some of those guys would be playing two and three different houses. You know, they would come and play three or four songs with this band and go, you know, two blocks down and play some with somebody else's band. Oh, no kidding. Uh, so you had to have all of the material from, from all those different artists that, that you were ready to back them up on. Absolutely. The only guy we never got on Broadway would, would, would be Fast Domino. <laughs> but he was playing Las Vegas by that time, you know. Sure, sure. Man, it must have been a, a rich uh, learning time for you. Well, you know, George, you have such a, I mean, so many people copy your style of playing. It's as a, as a, 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 a guy, you know, a younger guy, that music seems like it's always been there to me. I mean, is your style kind of uh, fully developed out of whole cloth or, I mean, where do you see it coming from? Well, I believe it's, it, it was, uh, um, I believe that I probably my style, if I if I have one, I, I'm not sure I have one. You definitely have one, George. My contribution to 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 to, to the instrument itself um, is rounded by by the, the the fact that I wanted to be a part of New Orleans music. So I, I I I dug deeply into all of that different music, you know, the gospel music, the uh, um, you know, the the, the the bebop music, the um, the street music, uh, um, you know, the Earl Kings and the and the, um, Eddie Bowles and right. the, and the, and the Tommy Ridgeless. I dug into all of that music. I, you know, I wanted it was important for me to know how to play that music. And, yes. You know, and not all of it had the same feeling. So that means that I got to um, learn more about the um, the music because I, you know, I was playing these different feelings. The idiosyncrasies of each style. That's and that brings up something I wanted to talk about: the meters. How 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 much does it drive you crazy when you hear somebody playing meter songs incorrectly? Because you have to hear that all the time, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm as guilty as playing some of that meter stuff incorrectly because <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a firm, you know, I'm a, I'm, I believe that, you know, that those songs were played already and they were played correctly. I believe that, you know, it's okay to and, and for you to interpret it and, 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 and even if you wanted to change it. I, okay. I you know, I play, I play Sissy Strutt 
not like Sister Strut. Only time I play the song the way it really goes is when I play with, you know, members of the meters. Okay. Um, when, I, when I play with running partners or the Porter Trio, uh, it's a 12-bar blues. And I call it Sissy Got the Blues. Okay. Uh, because, you know, I figure she, she's over 50 years old, so she might have the blues by now, you know. Right on. So, so, so George, let me ask you something. You're going back to playing all the fraternity houses on Broadway. Um, uh, I'm sure uh, these were white fraternity houses, right? Oh, yeah. There, there weren't any black fraternity houses. Right. On so, and, and there was tons of segregation. So, and we're talking what, the 60s? Uh, yes, yes. We we're talking okay. the 60s. So, I mean, how was that feel? going because you have just nothing but white kids and half of them probably aren't even from new orleans uh how was the vibe i mean they hired you because they wanted to hear you right that's absolutely correct yes yeah uh but i mean i'm just going back thinking about the history of this country and stuff but was there any like like uh, I, I don't know any ill vibes in any way never never uh never um to my knowledge, uh, to my memory, mm-hmm. um, I've never had an incident um, on Broadway where I felt that uh, I was being put. I was I was in a position to um, to not get home safe. Right. Oh, um, well, uh, well. The thing is, also, I think probably because you're playing for young minds and they dig your music. You know, this is their, uh, if their parents were there, they'd probably, you know, say, what are you listening to? You know, get out of here. That's probably that true. That's very true. You know? That's probably very true. Uh, um, yeah. The, no, I think you, I think the fact that the, um, that the movement that happened um, in, the, in the later 60s and um, through the early 70s were probably some of those broad, those young people from Broadway that had grew up in, 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 in uh, well, I always thought New Orleans was totally different from any other planet. You know, mm-hmm. you, I, you know, you can cross, you can cross the line and go into Jefferson Parish. And I, I played gigs in Jefferson Parish with Earl King, uh, um, and, and, and even the meters in, 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 um, in the late sixties that, you know, were, were scary, were absolutely scary. You know, oh, I bet. Now, when did you start? When did you start like touring America and seeing the rest of the country? Well, the Amer- uh, the, the the world became um, a part of our our um, lives. Um, so, um, I guess it had to be around 1968, 69, late okay. uh, late sixty eight, when we all packed packed up and got in the back of a, got in a, got in a blue station wagon and went across the United States. And you went all over. You went New York, L.A., San Francisco, Chicago. You went everywhere. We went everywhere. In fact, uh, um, two weeks ago, my girlfriend, Denise Sullivan, um, celebrated her 60th birthday. And she wanted, she'd been doing the Grand Canyon for 20, 40, and 60. Uh, and she wanted to go on her 60th birthday to the Grand Canyon. It's a, it's a thing with her. So I drove, I drove, when we drove across the United States, we um, technically um, went up to, um, well, I don't remember where we got on, but we got on Highway 40 that was basically um, back in the 60s 
that was Route 66. Right. Yeah. And, and we did Route 66 all the way to the Grand Canyon. And, nice, um, man. It's a beautiful drive. So, you know, that was like a really nice trip. I, and I, told, I remember telling them that we stopped, the uh, only time that we would stop back, you know, and I think oh, this was 1969 when we did that drive. Uh, uh, we had left, um, we left Chicago. We left somewhere in Illinois. We must have been Chicago. And, and we took Route 66 all the way to LA. Mm. And uh, wow. I told her that, I told her that, uh, um, while we were driving, we were pulled off and went to one of the museums. Um, and, and I told her, I said, you know, back then, you know, all the time we stopped on this highway was to get gas, you know, and maybe get a get a a, a, a hot dog where where it was a, the place looked friendly enough for us to stop and eat. Right. right. Yeah, you oh, know, so the, I mean, the rest of the the rest of the country was in a in indifference, totally different from New Orleans. New Orleans. I think, I, and now again, I am not going to say that uh, um, that that uh, um, every black man and or woman in New Orleans in the '60s were treated like the musicians were, but right. the oyster shuckers, the, the guy, the guys that worked in those oyster shuckers, those guys, those guys were kings. Yeah. <laughs> You know those 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 Ursus guys, man. They were kings. You know <laughs> the musicians might have been might have been high up on a on a on a on a, on a anarchy. but man, if you was an Ursus shucker, you was the you was the thing. You was the really. <laughs> you know? Well, I tried. I went to a party years ago, about ten years ago. It was an oyster party, and I tried to shuck an oyster myself. And I totally agree with you. If you know how to do that, you're you're my king, because yeah. you know I love I love oysters, but I couldn't shuck one to save my life. Yeah, I almost yeah. ran ran one of those knives right through the middle of my hand one time, and I said, Yeah, right, and you don't want to do that. Yeah, you don't want to do that. No. Yeah, yeah. Well, Danny, <laughs> I'm looking at the cocktails, and I'm thinking that this might be the time. What do you What do you think? Okay, yeah, it's time where we take our break, George. We're going to take uh, a couple minutes, and the nation knows all about our break. We go. We go, whatever you're drinking, go fill it, go get a refill, and we'll be back in a second, Nation.
we're back. Back with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coleman, back with our guest, Mr. George Porter Jr. Now, uh, George, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this product, but we have a, a great sponsor that, that we've been affiliated with for a few months. So, uh, Manny, why don't you go ahead and tell George about this, the terrific sponsor. George, you've lived a rock and roll lifestyle, right? You've been around, right? I, I would think so, yes. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm going to talk to you about a, a product that is endorsing us, and we endorse them. It's called the Velo Bar. Yes. The, the Velo Bar is a CBD bar. You know about the CBD? It's, it's, it's all the rage these days. I understand, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a bar that uh, has 25 milligrams of CBD per bar. It's called the Velo Bar. It comes in two beautiful flavors, peanut butter and dark chocolate. And this bar is the perfect dose to take the edge off of whatever you're dealing with right now. And, of course, we're all dealing with something. You know, it's, it's 2020 is a year to be forgotten in, in, you know, in a lot of people's Oh, yeah. Life. You know, <laughs> it's a healthy protein bar. It'll fill you up, George, and it'll calm you down. All right? And who doesn't need a stress relief right now? The whole damn world's going crazy. And I'm telling you, this is a healthy bar, George. It's a plant-based protein with super ingredients like pumpkin seeds, hemp hearts, chia seeds. It's, it's a breakfast bar. It's a relief bar. It's one of those bars that, you know, when you're, you have that craving after lunch for something, you know, before dinner that keep you going over. Um, and, it, and it tastes great. It tastes fantastic. I've had them. Renee's had them. Oh, People yeah. in the nation all over the world are buying the Velo Bar, George, and they're fantastic. And George, right now, if you go to VeloBarCBD.com and make an order, you can get 15% off your order by using the promo code TroubledMen15. That's TroubledMen15. Get 15% off and, of course, free shipping. Yes. And we all love the free shipping. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you, man, this stuff is great, George. You know, uh, I don't know, you know, what, what, what your diet's like, but this is something that is, is, is something where, where everyone needs, I think. Everyone needs a little stress relief. And these bars are fantastic. They're really good. And uh, uh, so, Nation, you know, you know what you need to do. Go to VeloBarCBD.com. Get 15% off by using the promo code TroubleMen15. Free shipping. And, and tell your friends. Tell your friends. Yes, and, and for uh, a limited time, they have the uh, the commemorative Velo Bar sticker. The that's Velo right, sticker. So you can so get a sticker so. that you can put on your laptop or on your forehead, wherever you sure. want to put it. Right, you know, right, right. Um, it's great. Uh, in fact, I'm ready to reorder some myself because I need I need to stock up again for 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 the cold winter nights. Right. That are coming. <laughs> You know, in New Orleans, <laughs> the freezing winter nights. Yes. You know, yeah, in New Orleans, yeah. Anyway, check it out, Nation. You know the drill. Uh, anything else, Renee? Um, no, but uh, just to remind the, uh, the Nation that, uh, you know, if you want to support the podcast directly, you can jump on that PayPal uh, link and uh, support the cocktail fund or just general operating fund. And... Uh, and also, you know, more T-shirts are going out. We're getting uh, more, more uh, uh, listener photographs of uh, sporting the T-shirt, modeling the T-shirt. So we oh. encourage that nation, uh, you know, uh, order T-shirt, take a picture of yourself with it. Uh, 
email it to us, you know, pants or no pants. We don't care. It's your option. Um, so, well, I, 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 I don't, there's some people with no pants. I don't think I want to see. Okay, sure, sure. We'll, we'll, we'll get rid of those. Anyway, I'll, I'll leave it up to the, to the nation's discretion uh, on the, on, but, but wear, wear the t-shirt up top for sure. Anyway, um, uh, I think that's about it on that. Yeah. And so let's get back to our guest, Mr. George Porter. So George, uh, just to, to um, uh, do a quick encapsulation. So the, the, the meters kind of come together around, around uh, Art Neville. This is all at the, at the Ivanhoe you guys are playing. And Alan Toussaint hears you guys and signs you to a deal. Is that more or less the... the yeah, that's kind of part of it. Uh, Alan, we had been playing together for pretty much close to three years or two and a half years before um, Alan signed us. Uh, before Alan, um, before we moved to the city of the French Quarter, to the Ivanhoe, we had been playing uptown at a club called the Nightcap on Louisiana mm-hmm. Avenue. Um, oh. And when the club kind of changed management and um, and what the new management didn't want to meet arts demands as far as income, um, the, um, we, we just took off. For about a month or so, like something like that, and then about a month later, Art called us up and said that, um, "Hey, we have a gig, but we have a problem." And the problem was that uh, Zig was still under eighteen. Mm. Um, was he still under eighteen, or he still he was under twenty? No, he might have been under under eighteen. And he had to get a, he had to get a work permit to play in the quarters with us, uh-huh. um, so that happened. But while 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 on Bourbon Street, Alan Two Cent used to drive down you know down the street in his in his Cadillac, his El Dorado, and he was he would stop in front of the door. Back then, you know, you were able to drive still on Bourbon Street, and he uh-huh. would stand there and 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 listen to listen to us play, and. Uh, the doorman at the, you know, after I was set, he would come in and say, hey, bro, your boy, your boy uh, with the Eldorado was sitting out here listening to you guys play, you know. And probably a few months later, um, Art got a call from Marshall Seahorn, Art's partner, I mean, um, Alan's partner, and said that Alan wanted us to come and um, do an audition for, um, to do some sessions work with him. And from there, it was all... I'm not sure if it was up or downhill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, man, you guys m- recorded so much material with with Alan. Uh, you know, not not just all the the meter songs, which is uh, it's amazing. Um, you know, in those those uh, eight years, you guys were were recording at that time. How much material you generated, not just as the meters, but then you know, Doctor John, Right Place, Wrong Time, Patty Labelle. Uh, you know. Huge hit with Lady Marmalade, uh, you know Robert Palmer sneaking Sally through the alley, um, you know just a it's it's mind boggling that how, how much work got done in such a, a few short yeah. years. Three three Lee Dorsey records. Um, three Lee Dorsey records, yes. And also the second Doctor John record of Desertively Bound to Rule. Right, right. And then Leo and myself went out and done. Um, uh, I think it was must have been it was LaBelle I believe but we went out done her second record and and and, and, and um San Francisco with David Rubinson 
Oh, uh, okay. Um, and then during that same period of time, y'all go out as the, the opening act for the Rolling Stones World Tour in 1975 and 76, right? Uh, yes, the U.S. 75. Um, we played, I think, only about 13 shows out of the whole tour. And, um, and then we did uh, 96 Days in Europe. I think it was 73 or 74 shows in 96 Days in Europe with the Stones. Ouch. Now, were you part of the New Barbarians? Because I know Zigaboo played with the New Barbarians. Um, my record, I, at the time, I didn't have a record label that was supportive, supportive enough. And, um, and the New Barbarians tour was kind of based off of getting, uh, um, you know. Keith off of uh, House tour. Arrest. To yeah. support, yeah, <laughs> and um, but um, the um, the, the bass player, God, I can't think of his name at this point. Oh, Jesus, um, his record label basically paid Ron Woods to take him on road with them. Oh, okay, right, right. tour support, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, well, you know, they're tour support. So, um, I didn't have a record label that was done that. They they got they took Zigaboo. Nobody paid for Zigaboo to come out. They they wanted Ron Woods wanted Zig to play the gig, and okay. Keith Richards wanted me to play the gig. But uh, um, Standard Clark's people wanted Standard Clark to be on that too. Okay, all right. Well, there you go. Yeah, it's a, it's a bidding war. Um, well, well, that, those must have that must have been a pretty wild tour to be on, huh? At that time, the Rolling Stones were uh, were that was uh, pre-reform. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, that was nuts. I put it. I put it this way: um, ninety-six days in Europe. Um, you know, I had to probably snorted my way through at least <laughs> two cities of Peru. <laughs> <laughs> I got home, and um, we played a little gig on on a, on a Saturday at a little club on um, on Claiborne Avenue. Used to be right off the corner of Claiborne and Napoleon. And uh, we uh, played that gig that night. And I went home and went to bed that morning. And when I woke up, it was like five days later, I was in uh, a <laughs> uh, uh, hotel due in, um, in a hospital bed. Had been there for six days. Oh, my. And I uh, had, had walking, basically I had walking pneumonia. And um, the doctor told my mom, that's how my mom found out I was snorting cocaine. And she said that if it wasn't for the cocaine, I'd have died a long time ago. I would have died. <laughs> I would have probably died that night that I came into the hospital. But it was the cocaine that... that Kept you alive. So that was kind of a, <laughs> um, a okay for me to continue snorting cocaine. All right, that was, the, that was the the green light that you were looking for. I got green lighted. Yeah, I, I snorted cocaine for another. Can day. I get back to the Stones tour in Europe real quickly? I just want there's one last question I want to ask. Sure, so sure. You did you do any American shows with them? Yes, uh, the '75 tour was American. Okay, okay. US now yeah. and the Europeans. So how were the crowds reacting to you in America and in? Europe, because you're opening for the fucking Rolling Stones. How well, was the crowd reacting? I believe that okay, we the this, the, this, the U.S. tour started in Baton Rouge, 
Okay, well, that's good. And, uh, um, and you know, um, <laughs> let's see. I, I want to write. I want to say this correctly. Okay. Uh, one of the Baton Rouge newspapers wrote the next morning that um, Heidi said that the 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 road, well, it was a good a good positive uh, um, write up, but it said that finally the Stones got a band to open for them that will make them come out and play. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, right. uh, and, and that was a positive, but that was like in a, somewhere in the middle of the, of his, of his state of, of his article. It's an article kind of opened with, um, said, uh, the opening act of five elegantly dressed black men came out on stage beating on cowbells and singing fire on the bayou was the beginning of, of the, of the, of the article. And it was, it was like, I was, it was like, wow, five elegantly dressed black men. Um, So, um, and then it went on, but it was a pot. It was a, it was like a good and a bad review of the, of the meters. But the part that I, that stuck with me more than anything was the five elegantly dressed black men. And yeah. finally the stones, the finally the stones got a band that's called came out and on stage that would make them come out and play. And Fuck yeah, man. that's what we did. We, 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 we were kind of the band that, um, you know, we didn't like taking we we didn't we didn't like taking prisoners. You know, we like to we play. We went when we stepped on the stage. We stepped on the stage to play. We didn't crap yeah. around. We didn't screw around. We played. We we played hard. You know, and the fact right. that most of the audiences that we were playing to didn't even care to listen to us. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was even more so of a meaningful thing for us to, you know, to be positive about what we were doing because uh, certainly we were going to get, we was going to get bad write-ups if we had had anything, you know, if we'd have been weak. Now, right. the, the, the write-ups that we didn't get were the ones that was probably the ones that was hurtful, you know, that kind of said, wow, they didn't even mention our names. <laughs> Right, right. Well, you know, yeah, it's, uh, it's well, easy I, to get lost I, in the shuffle with the Stones. I, but, go. but I think probably, don't you think, because the Stones attract white young men and girls, white, white audience, uh, do you think the European audience were more accepting of this opening act, being an all-black band? Um, yes and no. Um, mm-hmm. uh, parts of the... And the German dates went really well for us. The English dates went really well for us. Um, the French dates, the first night in France, uh, uh, um, the, uh, we went out on stage and we were getting booed like, I mean, horribly. I mean, it was, hmm. it was the noise was deafening. Oh, and, gosh. And, um, Rude bastards. So we, uh, you know, we kind of left the stage, you know. And, and you know because there's a few things got thrown at the stage, and so we kind of <laughs> left the stage, and and um, and um, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards say, uh-uh, 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 y'all gonna play this gig, you know, y'all gonna play this gig, and say let's go back out on stage, and they came back out on stage with us, 
uh, and uh, once again, Fire in the Bayou was always like our, our opening song. Okay. So they came back out on stage with us, and and and, and Jagger said, and, and you know, said, I'm assuming he was speaking French. <laughs> uh, you know, they know that, uh, you know, I was told this by someone else, that he told them, if y'all would just listen to these guys, you would like it. And then, you know, he turned to us and he said, let's just play. And we started playing Fire on the Bayou, and they stayed out on stage was throughout almost the whole song. And when they left the stage, we just finished our show. And the next two nights was like was winners, you know. Yeah, nice, nice. Because I remember, I remember in the '81 Stones tour. Uh, I'm a big Stones fan. I've seen all their tours since 1978. Um, but in the '81 tour, they had an opening act by the guy named Prince. This guy who, you know, was just making his mark, you know, Prince. Wow, and man, it was at the that. L.A. Coliseum. And, of course, you've got a – it's 1981. You've got nothing but rock and roll white white guys and girls and, you know, maybe some Latinos and, and all that kind of stuff. And Prince is getting shoes and bottles thrown at him. Really? Jesus. Yeah. And I'm watching this. I'm going – because I just heard of him. I go, well, this guy's not that bad. He's actually rocking. He's Jimi Hendrix out there, you know. And but the crowd in, in front of the stage, they don't want to hear this guy. They they want to see George Thorogood, who's up next, and the Jay Giles band. Oh, brother! You know, you know and <laughs> George Thorogood. Yeah, oh, wow. yeah, he was up next, and of right, course Jay right. Giles was up next, and then the Stones. But but apparently Charlie Watts discovered Prince. You know, he loved Prince, and he said, okay. "We got to get this guy. Got to get him some. You know, get him out there." He's quite but talented. Prince, yeah, he's a, he's a talented guy, Prince. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but Prince dodged all the shoes that were being thrown in the bottles. He dodged it all, and he finishes set, and and after that, man, he he, you know, I I you know kept buy, I started buying his records and shit. You know, it's like this guy's good. You know, yeah, so. It's, it's- got to be like going into battle man opening for a, a band like that like like you were saying manny where uh you know people are not necessarily familiar with with the, the oh yeah 80, 81 america you know you've got mullet heads you know the stones right. and, you know right. bikers and you know all oh, that Jesus. kind of stuff yeah. I, I, I always said i thought the american the american uh, audiences were more horrifying than the european audiences uh, yeah. I mean, like I said, I thought I thought that the France that first that first night, and and actually that first um, seven maybe six minutes of that of that uh, of the first not even maybe not even no, maybe three minutes of the very first time we walked out on stage in France um, was was harsh. I mean, it was horribly, and and. Um, and it, and it shook the ground. It shook the ground. It really, it really, uh, really, sh- you know, shook to your core. Uh, that, yeah. You know, <laughs> that you knew for a fact that one, these people didn't come here to see you play. You right. Know? Uh, right. Uh, and you were, and you were being, I had, we you know we, we had played in front of audiences that just totally ignored us. You know what I'm saying? It's like, 
uh, big conversations going on in the, in the audience. People, nobody even looking at the stage, you know, something stuff like that. Right. Uh, but never um, you had you never had like kind of a a, a hate going towards you. No, never had one of those. France was the yeah. first time I saw that. Yeah. yeah. Yes, people can be rough, man. Uh, well, well, um, something I, I wanted to, to touch on at some point here is, uh, you know, the, the Meters is one of those bands that uh, have been sampled so much. Uh, you know, the, the, when the, the uh, hip-hop started, that was, uh, you know, seen as that foundational music that so many acts, you know, Run DMC, LL Cool J, NWA, you know, all these, these you know, first generation uh, uh, hip hop acts were, were, you know, early on s sampling the meters. Now, you guys must have made a fortune off of all that publishing, huh? No, we didn't make a fortune. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <Really? laughs> yeah, that was a trick question, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I was hoping the answer was going to be yes. But, uh. <laughs> um. Here's the way this went. I'm going to try and keep it as clean as I can. Okay. But, uh, no, don't do that. No, don't do that. Air your grievances. This is uh, we yeah. grievances over cocktails, uh, George. Outside, outside of the facts that, you know, that our then manager, uh, and, you know, although, although Alan Toussaint was uh, um, the partner in that management, um, that man, uh, he had very little, you know, he didn't know all of the makings and all of the the, the turnarounds that was being done by Marshall Seahorn. Marshall Seahorn mm -hmm. was making deals with with, uh, with our music, especially with the with the rapper guys that that none of us knew anything about. You know, we you know we knew that. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, because I didn't listen to rap music, I never listened to it, and uh, I didn't know about you know those samples being out there there was a kid down here uh harry connick he works with harry connick jr tracy freeman um used right. to work uh, uh, at, a, uh, at a music store down here called peaches records and right. um and he uh and he started reaching out to me and telling me say man you, you know about this stuff because a lot of the white kids out by uh about uno uh was um you know, coming in looking for these hip hop songs, and he was, you know, he was. They would play it in the store, and he would recognize, "Hey man, that's that's Pungy." Oh, hey man, that's Sissy Strut. Well, not Sissy Strut. It was Pungy and Hey Last Minute. Oh, it was. I mean, I think all total was a hundred and um, a hundred and seventy six samples. Cordova was was sampled probably twenty times, but you know, was Jesus. Used about 20 different artists. I mean, there were artists like Queen Latifah uh, uh, um, that did the stuff. Um, that was um, the hand clapping song got 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 sampled by um, by Whitney Houston. It was a big hit for her. Uh, um, that the record label even actually went into court with that on that sample and tried to get uh, infringements out of that. And come to come out the, um, that um, the song. Was a, 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 a old gospel song that apparently um, apparently that um, was influenced. Leo was influenced by that, and they they kind of brought to the attention that 
the, the song wasn't in originally ours. It was actually originally somebody else's. Well, George, it just goes that old saying, uh, uh, keep your money on your mind and your mind on your money. <laughs> but you see, in, 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 the, in the 60s and in, in, uh, probably all the way, and I wouldn't want to say that it may be some of these young bands today is still getting screwed like we were getting screwed in the 60s. You know, um, it's like, yeah, I, well, see, how, how, you, how you put this? This is a nice way to say this. Well, I'm, <laughs> I keep trying to think of a nice way to say it, but it's No, not, don't think of a nice way. Just think the way you I, want to say it. No, I don't want to insult families, you know. Uh, okay. That's what that's what I'm saying, man. I, I love Alan Toussaint. I, I, I learned so much music from Alan Toussaint. It was just yes. unfortunate that he was half of a team that was screwing us right and left, you know, right and left. I right. firmly believe that, you know, when he found out how much how much his his partner was screwing him too, you know, that you know, that's when that business dissolved, you know, because it you know, it, it all ended up, you know, in 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 a in a, in a, a fight or uh, Alan was not one of those guys that liked to fight. He would just walk away from it and, and remove his name from from the situation. And that was what he did. Yeah. Uh, but uh, um, but Marshall Seahorn had had created this 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 thing that actually broke the band up because you know uh, uh, um, you know he, he had he had created this thing with the Warner Brothers, the record labels, with that these guys are, are just um, how you say we loose cannons, we just a bunch of loose cannon drug addicts, you know, oh, and man. You know, so. You know, if if not dealing with us, you don't want to deal with these guys. You know, and and because the record label wanted to move us to California to do the, that last recording with David Rubinson, but the whole story was that uh, because the band said that we wasn't cutting no more for um, for for Sihon. we wasn't going to do a, 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 another record for them, and the record label said y'all owed us a record, so. Okay, we'll change. We'll change producers, or we'll bring because oh, a also on record, on record, they say that Alan Toussaint produced all of our albums. Alan was never in the studio with us on none of our recordings. Never. Oh, really? He never ever. He never had hands. He was hands off on all, all of our music. He wow. had one MP influence, one song. And it was a song that I wrote, and it's called The Same Old Thing. And his influence on that song was that he stuck his head in the, in the control room while we were doing a playback. And, and, uh, and, and the, the playback was that song. And, and he looked and said, oh, some more of the same old thing, and closed the door. And <laughs> uh, the engineer, Skip Goblin, said, oh, that's a good name, man. Same old thing. <laughs> And that's what the <laughs> name, the Sambo thing. So that was just the meters and the engineer and, and making all those records, huh? Absolutely. Wow. Man, you guys sure did a bang-up job, man. <laughs> well, I do remember, uh, my wife reminded me of this, is when Alan Toussaint died, he was in Spain, or somewhere in Europe when he died. And... <laughs> I think they interviewed a lot of local musicians and you were one of the people the news crew interviewed and you said as a musician 
you want to be home when you die. You don't want to be on the road when you die. And I thought, and my wife and I both thought that was that was a very touching thing to say because you know this guy Alan was performing. Well, he was performing to the day he died, uh, but you don't want to be on the road when you die. Yeah, I think what, what I was out on the road at the time when Alan when we got the word that Alan had passed away. I was um and I was in uh, I believe. Colorado or somewhere, somewhere up on the west, the northwest. Uh -huh. I was um, not feeling very well. I wasn't sick, but I wasn't feeling good. I wasn't feeling great. I think I was just exhausted and tired. Yeah. And then we heard that Alan had passed away. They found him in his hotel room, uh, um, you know, and, and this thing came to my mind is that you know, I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I didn't want to die by myself. You know, and have somebody find me. You know, right. Uh, that the thought of that was was frightening, and and I, you know, I, just, <laughs> I mean, I knew I couldn't. Oh yeah, you know something. That morning we were on our way home. That's right. Uh, that morning, that was we were catching a flight that morning going home, and and uh, that bothered me more than anything. And I think I wrote. It must have, I don't know if it was Facebook at that time, but it may have been Facebook, but I, I, I think I wrote it on on MySpace or something like that. I, I put that on MySpace. And right. I, I believe the local, the Times Picayune picked it up and wrote part, a, a portion of what I said uh, in the thing. Um, but yeah, it was like, uh, uh, I, you know, I can't put a number on how many of us, you know, actually die you know, in a hotel room by ourselves, even, even, you know, either way it went down, you know, there was an OD, he was by himself, uh, uh, or the person who was with him when he OD jumped ship and wouldn't, and wouldn't stay around and left him there to die, you know, or, or him or mm. her there to die, you know. It's just the fact that, um, that you were away from home and, you know, doing what you, you know, what you love doing, you know. And right. That that may be the way that most of us gonna go. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, you hate to die alone, but it's good to be doing what you love, like you said. You know, dive with your boots on, as they said. Yeah. You know? I mean, Colonel Bruce. Colonel Bruce had. Uh, uh, I would think as as horrifying as it might have been to the audience. I believe he was smiling when he went down. You know. You know, because yeah. he was in his he was in the element that he that he loved doing. You know. Uh, uh, was the, uh, the other blues guitar player um um it passed away in japan dropped dead on stage um hmm. oh i know who you're talking about i can't remember the name i know who you're talking about yeah johnny was it johnny guitar watson or the other yeah. one oh, was it oh wow yeah yeah man right on talent. stage she was yeah you know, I mean, that, that I think in, in our in our community, that's the glory. That's the good. That's the way to go out. You know? Right. <laughs> well, uh, George, we're 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 closing in on the end of the podcast here, but uh, you know, I reached out to some of your uh, some of your your students, your your compatriots, uh, your brothers in arms, and I I solicited questions, and someone said, "Get George to tell the aliens in the Superdome story." <laughs> 
<laughs> um, it was a dream. It was a dream. Uh, uh, <laughs> more like a, it might have been a nightmare. I'm not sure. But okay. I was I was not comfortable for the fact that the going into the Superdome because I I believed that the Superdome was was a spaceship, and that uh, in my dream I was in uh, you know I went I went to um to play in the dome, and um and right I think right before we was going on or right as we was coming off the stage or something I can't remember that um the damn thing took off and just took us away from here, you know? And I, I, I woke up like screaming. <laughs> My wife said, what the hell is what's wrong with you? You know? And uh, that was, I, I mean, it was years, it was years before I went to the Superdome. I, I didn't go in the dome. And it's, I mean, I've only, I've only, I've only been in the dome maybe three times um, at the most. Wow. Okay. Let, let me ask coach. you a question. Let me ask you a question. You you play with Johnny Vodakovic? Not as much as I used to. Yes. Okay. Because he was he's been on the show, and he was actually one of my my favorite. That was one of my favorite shows. The guy is so honest and real, and he's so New Orleans. Now, how did that friendship start? Oh wow. It had to be way back, huh? Yeah, you guys. Bourbon Street. 1967, maybe. Yeah. Uh, Bourbon Street. Um, well, he tells a story of as, as a kid uh, hanging out some outside of some little club on Esplanade, you know, with – and he's outside the club because he's only a kid. He's like seven, eight years old or whatever. And he's listening to the drummer of this band play. He doesn't know who the drummer is, but he's like got his chips and soda. And he's just sitting there with his ear to the window listening. And that's, that's how he fell in love with the drums. Uh-huh. You know, but so where did you meet him? As kids? Like young kids? No, no. We were, we were, we were youngsters, but, um, uh, but we, he, was, he was playing. He had a gig or he got a gig. Playing um, behind some um, um, what they call like shake dancers on Bourbon Street. Okay. Um, he was playing at um, he was playing for um, not Al Hurd, um Oh man, God. Albaletto. 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 Correct. He was playing for Albaletto, but on his breaks with Albaletto, he would go across the street. And play for these dancers. And it usually was like an hour on, hour off kind of thing. Uh, I was on at the Ivanhoe on the hour on and hour off. Mm. But usually, the, uh, it, they, used, they would always give us a grace period of about five minutes in order for us to get back to our regular gigs. And uh, and I, I, I think Sam Henry might have been on that gig with Johnny. And Sam Henry might have been the one that told uh because sam had johnny was doing a duet you know sam was playing the left hand playing the bass in his left hand and um and somehow i don't know how i actually got that gig but i actually got the gig for probably maybe two months or something like that and that's how i first met johnny oh okay nice and, uh, and y'all were just teenagers yeah, huh both yeah. of y'all 
and then you know it, it, it disappeared for for a long period of time, uh, and we would cross paths, you know, over the next for thirty years or something like that. And um, then, of um, probably what 12, 13 years ago, Deborah called me up and um, said that um, that would I be interested in doing uh, um, a trio thing with Johnny down on on on, on Dry not Dry Street, what that is uh, St. Claude Oak Street, the Maple Leaf. No, no, right? on St. Claude. No? Oh. That that trio thing started on St. Claude. I want to. Oh. Okay. Was it Funky Butts? Okay. Was it a Funky Butts? Not the one that's on the corner, but it's like in the middle of the block. Hmm. All right. Yeah, I think it was for Funky Butts. <laughs> okay. And we, I like that name. We played that gig down there with Johnny, uh, 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 Eric Tribe on saxophone, and myself. We did that. We did wow, that. Nice. Uh, and I want to say that must have been like a, a, a Wednesday night or something like that. It was like a, a not a really great night that people was out on the street. But you know, we you know after a couple of weeks, there was, we had a we had a wonderful, and it was mostly for tips. You know, ninety almost percent. I think they were guaranteeing us a maybe. Seventy-five dollars a piece or something like that, but we had to walk out of there with one hundred fifty, maybe two hundred dollars because we made tips. Right, uh, the band uh, was so great, man. What a monster, Eric Traub, man. I can't. Oh, that's yeah. that's yeah. what a, what a tremendous band. Uh, and I got I recorded every one of those gigs. I have I have recordings of every one of those shows. And mm-hmm. I remember uh, 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 after we when we were playing stuff off the top of our heads, it wasn't you know wasn't. Calling songs, we just play. We just start just playing. jamming. We wow. just be jamming, and you know, at the wow. end of at the end of some at some moment, and the thing the song would end. And I remember yeah. a, lot, a lot of times when that happened, Eric would Eric Cobb, uh, Eric uh, uh, Trav would turn to me and say, "Publishing." <laughs> well, you still got those tapes? Yes, I do. I do. Uh, I'll do something with them, man. I, yeah, that's that's you know, and I've been getting my 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 present manager has been 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 cramming at me about getting someone to come and 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 do a a a, a, career, a proper archiving. Yes. Uh, and, and cat, a cataloging of all of these, all of these, and is that is that tapes? Uh, I mean, I already got, I got a lot of stuff that's on old cassettes, cassette tapes. Right. The cassette tapes are mostly the Meters and David Lasky's band, The Taste of New Orleans. Man, I wanted to talk about that band because I saw that band so many times down in the French market. But uh, and and man, I, I I love that band. I love the you know David and Walter Lasty. It's uh, I learned so much watching you guys play down there. Ah, no kidding, you that old? Yeah, fuck yeah. Well, I was a teenager, you know, and I would go down there on Sundays and see y'all play. And sometimes, I guess you'd be out on the road. And Rusty Gilder would sub for you. Yeah, I, I knew Rusty through uh, Bill Huntington, who I studied with, and Rusty would okay. let me sit in on a tune or two. So yeah. I was I was always down there drooling. And one thing I I was thinking about this today, and in my notes, I I remembered the guy the the MC was Smiley Uwell. Oh yeah. Guy? Yes, yes, yes. I, I hadn't thought about him in years, but he just popped into my mind. I remembered his name. I remember exactly what he looks like. Yeah, and, I remember. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, he had the umbrella. He had the sash on. He would. Uh, he was a uh, guy, man. Yeah. He would walk around, pass the pass the uh, pass the hat, and man, what a what a great band! I tell you what, the David Lasty had a, a a feel on the eighth notes, man. The way he the way that band played, it was like bebop, but it's New Orleans R and B jazz, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So cool, man. So cool. Well, George, listen, if you're gonna start, you know, have someone looking at your old tapes and stuff like that, my advice is. Don't get Alan Two Cents' business partner. <laughs> Keep the seahorns out of it, man. Yeah. What saying? yeah, exactly. All right. Good advice. Solid, sound advice. Well, Manny, uh, that seems like a podcast, huh? Yeah, I mean, there's tons of questions I want to ask, George. I know, but, I know. I know. You know. It's just we're running so long. Um, uh, we're running long, but yeah, yeah, but George, you've been fantastic. I, I You've... I'm looking at your uh, your whole bio. I, Renee sent me all your info and your digits and all that kind of stuff. And you work with such a an array of artists like David Byrne, Tori Amos. Uh, these yeah. are people that I didn't think you would work with, but it's a gig, right? That's the way you would look at it. Uh, Is it no, a gig? It was an experience, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the drummer. Um, uh, jeez, uh, I can't think. Um, what's the you know the band? Uh, uh, uh um, kind of little drifters. Yeah, Carlo Nuccio. Yeah, Carlo Nuccio. He got me the yeah. gig. Uh, does uh, the recording session with Tori? I did two records with Carlo with Tori, and then the third the third record was uh um. um uh, he he talked his way out of that gig. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. I remember yeah. Carla was tight with uh, with with Tori and her husband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, those are great records too, man. Yeah, I love those records. But uh, but then uh, uh, David Byrne, the great story like that. Is David Byrne called my house, and um, and you know one the, uh, he, my wife answered the phone as always. I never answered the telephone. And, uh, and and the wife David, you know, asked her about my availability. He gave her the dates that uh, that was was, was uh, he was looking for. And my wife uh, looked at her calendar very quick and said, "Oh no, he's already booked." And, uh, <laughs> and you know, and 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 you know, so uh, so he said, "Okay, well, thank you," and he hung up the phone. So she called, she, you know, she, when I came home a couple of days, she told me that a guy named David Byrne had called me. And I said, well, I know that name from, she said, it's a band called Talking Heads or something like that. And I said, <laughs> I said, no, no, she didn't know about Talking Heads. I called, I called RT. Uh, 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 I said, man, who is David Byrne? And, and, and actually his wife, because he had me on speaker, his wife said, uh, David Byrne, you were talking about Talking Heads? I said, yeah. She said, why? And I said, well, he called my house up wanting, me, wanting to know if I was available to do a, a recording session with him. She said, you better call him back. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So at that point, I got back on the phone and I called, I called him back and, uh, and, and, and he hadn't gave, he hadn't, uh, gave the dates away. So uh, I took that. And that was for the recording session. I went up there for, um, like I think, 14 days or something like that. Oh, man. Terrific. Well, Manny, um, time to wrap it up. 
Yeah, I know. I got tons of questions for George, but George, you're one of these guests that we'll have back on. We're going to have you back on for a part two, George. Absolutely. I'll feel free to call me at any time, you know. Um, Okay. I mean, especially right now, I mean, it's it's not much going on, so. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, there's nothing going on. Well, thank you, George. You know, you're you're such an idol to to so many uh, New Orleans musicians and musicians around the world. Uh, it's, a, it's such a such a privilege to have you on the Troubled Men podcast. And, and George, tell all your friends about us, okay? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a, you know, when y'all when y'all ready to air this, you gotta let, let me know so I can post it on the on the site. You know. Will okay. do, will do. And everybody, uh, Trouble Nation, uh, look out for George's uh, record coming out. Uh, uh, George Porter and the Running Partners have a have a, a full record that'll be coming out in, uh, in the next next few months. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm hoping before Christmas, definitely. Uh, hoping it'll be uh, something new to go under the Christmas tree. There you go. There you go. All right, Manny. Well, uh, thank you so much, George. And uh, in the Troubled Nation, we always like to say uh, trouble never ends. But the struggle continues, George. Absolutely. Absolutely. It does. Good night, people. Good night. Good night, gentlemen.
Oh my God. 